Would you turn in your Bible with me to the book of Luke chapter 2? Luke chapter 2, we're going to look at uh, verses 16 through 20. You know, I, I recognize and have recognized over the many years I've been your pastor that Christmas time is uh, such a glorious, wonderful moment, but um, for many it's, it's a time of challenge and it's a time of even depression. And uh, I think that we, uh, we in this past year particularly, I think no one would have been able to anticipate last year at Christmas time the things that the year 2020 has held. But we've had a lot of challenges and a lot of opportunities for people to, um, to maybe give place to measures of emotional challenge due to restrictions and due to their normal course of life experiencing what it would seem to be an upheaval. And so as we come to this Christmas season and, and the, the, the story of Christ's birth, I, I have seen in what, what, what we talked about last week and what we talked about during the other messages that have gone out over the, over the Internet, I've seen of a, a vitality of this message even more so than I normally have, have seen. And it's another indication of the living word, how that it can speak freshly to us, no matter what goes on in our lives. And I'm very, very grateful for what we were able to share last week regarding the potential of, of bitterness and how we have to overcome that. But today, we're going to continue to look at the life of Mary, and we're going to consider how we can overcome in, in our lives um, by virtue of maintaining a positive attitude in, in, the, in the walk of the Lord. And so in Luke chapter 2, verses 16 through 20, we see that um, uh, we have, um, um, we've had the birth of Jesus and we, we've had the visitation to the shepherds. And when the shepherds came to Bethlehem at the command of the angels, in verse 16 says, They came with haste, and they found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. When they had seen it, they made known abroad the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all they that heard it wondered at those things which were told them, by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told unto them. Now, Mary is indicating something here in verse 19 that is a principle for walking in victory in the miracle power of the Lord. When it says that she kept these things, 
and she pondered them in her heart. Those are not just synonyms that are piled on to uh, the description of how she was thinking. These are two very distinct things that Mary was doing in order to overcome a plethora of challenges that were in her life. And it's not just that she was not giving place to bitterness, which we looked at last week, but it's how you man manage your walk in the Lord to gain victory. This principle that we're going to talk about with Mary is indicated throughout the Scripture in a number of different ways. And it's something that we should be doing in our lives to overcome the many, many things that would come against us. Um, overcoming is something that God requires. It, it says, to him that overcomes, you will gain a crown. To him that overcomes, I will do this and do that. So we are always to be overcoming something. It's how we overcome that is the key. And I believe that Mary demonstrates those things here. The first is that she kept them. And, and that's the Greek word sentero, or in other words, to gather things into her own sphere, in her own terio. And the problem that so many of us Christians have is that we are, we are intent on getting a blessing or getting a provision. And she, we can remember those. We live those. Every challenge, every issue. It seems like we wake up in the morning or we go to bed at night and those are prominently in front of us. And we, we do our best to present those to God and He does hear them and He does answer. The challenge we have is that when He does answer, we're often like the, the nine lepers who went away and they were on their merry way and they they did not give thanks they did not cherish the blessing and the one guy that came back to Jesus he worshiped and he gave thanks and Jesus said where are the other nine and um, for us it's not just about giving thanks even though that's an imperative it's that we remember what God has done too often over the years as pastor, uh, I, would, I would have a recurrent theme when, when there was counseling where people would come in and, and they would just be overwhelmed by a challenge or overwhelmed by a problem. And a lot of my task was to remind them of the ways that I had seen God move in them in the past, in the way that I'd seen God provide in the past. And, you know, it's kind of like count your blessings, name them one by one. But we're often, uh, our math when it comes to counting blessing is often uh, lacking. And for, for Mary, she had a capacity to remember the things that God had done and to keep them for herself, close to her. And nobody's going to do that for you. You shouldn't expect somebody to do that for you. And, and not, only, not only should we not expect it, it loses its power to a large degree if we have to keep being reminded by others of the way God has moved in us, of the way God has moved in our lives. It's like when the disciples got into the boat 
with Jesus, and they were going apart from shore, and suddenly one of those guys, as men are prone to do, they said, hey, we don't have anything to eat. Now, we didn't pack any food. And Jesus said, we just fed the 5,000. Have you forgotten about that? You know, one way or another, we're going to get food. Uh, it, it's, um, it's an amazing thing that we have a propensity as humans to forget what God has done, especially in the way of how he's provided for us. And it's up to us to keep those treasures of remembrance nearby. Now, the second thing she did was she pondered. This is a very interesting word, and we're going to expand upon it here a little bit because it's a word that in the Greek is symbolo, and it really indicates conflict. In fact, if you did a, a word derivation, if I were just to say to you, what does the word symbolo remind you of? And anybody who's music would say, well, it reminds me of a symbol, and you'd be right. And a symbol it was named that because those two pieces of metal come together, like the monkey, you know. And they, they, they called them that, not for the noise they made, but because they came together in a clash. This word is used to describe in Luke 14, 31, when a king is deciding if he can make, symbolo, war. Can I go against an army and clash with them and overcome? In Luke, in Acts 4, 15, when there was an argument that was going to ensue between two groups of people, they were coming together, clashing. And the other illustration is um, in Acts 17, verse 18. The Apostle Paul was in Athens, and he was down in the marketplace, and he was his spirit was stirred, the Bible says, but he was telling people in those booths, uh, I don't know how he was preaching, but he was letting it be known that he was a purveyor of a, of a, of a truth, a life-giving word from God. And there were Epicureans and Stoics there who heard him, and... Uh, I mentioned this at the tail end of class this morning, but the Stoics were kind of like what we know Stoics to be today. They, they didn't like religion. They didn't like anything that was more emotionally based. They were all a matter of the mind. They're kind of like Mr. Spock in the Star Trek series. It's logic, you know. They, they view things in a very meticulous, methodical way. The Epicureans, on the other hand, were seeking after pleasure. You know, they, they wanted to eat more. They wanted to drink more. They wanted to have this experience. They wanted to have that experience. And so those two heard Paul, and they said, well, come up with us onto Mars Hill where there are all these different um, uh, idols, and tell us up there what it is that you're speaking about. And if uh, we were privileged to go to Athens many years ago, and we actually went up onto Mars Hill, and across from Mars Hill is the hill that uh, of the Acropolis, where the big temple is, where people worshipped. But on the hill beside it is Mars Hill, where Mars is, the, is, is dedicated to war, 
and people would come up there and they would offer things to their own individual idols and they would often clash with one another. So the point is, is that these two groups brought Paul up there for, for a clash. And Symbolo has to do with coming into conflict with something. So how would Mary ponder? How would she ponder? How would she Symbolo when she's just given birth to the Son of God? What is that? Does that make any sense? And, and how does that align with, I'm remembering all these things, you know, the way I was raised, um, the purity of my heart, Gabriel coming to me, what he did, what God did with Joseph. I got married. Uh, I had this encounter with Elizabeth and Zacharias, and I, uh, I then am great with child, and I had to make this road journey to Bethlehem, and we got here, and there wasn't any place. She's going through all of these things. Well, where's the, where's the pondering? Where's the clash? Well, it's the same way we all have clashes. See, we kind of, if you go through, travel through Europe or even some places here in Dallas, and you go to a museum, and you see paintings by the great masters, and they, they would depict the nativity scene, and they they would paint these beautiful, beautiful paintings, and you'd see Mary, and you'd see the baby Jesus, and it looked so serene, it just looked so wonderful. They both had these glows around their heads, you know. Mary would be making these fancy hand signs, you know, like, you know, like, like she's just in nirvana, you know, she wasn't in one of those chairs that Les mentioned in earlier, you know, uh, but she, she, in, in those pictures, it would look like she even had the vibrator built in, but she, she had some challenges there. You think about the challenges she had. Oh, great, this miracle has happened, but now what? Where are we going to go? Did you ever read anything about Mary's mama? She was absent. She was gone. I mean, even their own village kind of looked at them with the stink eye, you know? They were not very supportive. And in fact, if you read the scripture, especially in Matthew, and you see the Magi coming and the wise men, Mary and Joseph are living in Bethlehem. Now, apparently the people in Bethlehem recognized, look, this was a miracle. The shepherds had told all these things, and people started to embrace them. Why weren't they with their own people? Why, why wasn't Mary and Joseph and the baby with, with their own family? It's probably because there wasn't a real happy welcome there. And imagine this young girl. She was young. I mean, we, don't, we didn't check her driver's license. But she was probably, probably 15, 16 you know, here she is with a baby, no family around her. She's got Joseph, who's there, but, you know, men aren't obviously often the most helpful when it comes to a new baby. Joseph didn't have any experience. They hadn't gone to Lamaze classes. They hadn't viewed anything on the Internet about how to change diapers or how to swaddle things, you know. So here she is all by herself, and, and that's got to be weighing on her head. The Bible doesn't say the angels came down and, you know, 
took care of the baby and was up all night. You know, here's Mary, had no place to stay. What comes next? If there was ever an instance where you had to remember the fact that God had done all these things and that it, there had been miracles, you know what? Those things don't really help you that much when you're looking to what's coming next. You've got to remember those things and not just remember them, not just keep them, but to draw from them and to let that fill your quiver with faith and confidence. But you're still going to have to face, symbolo, the next things that are coming. And it's up to you to do that before God. Mary had a lot of issues. These principles were still there. You know, by the time the wise men show up, the baby was no longer a, a technon. The baby was now a padeo. This baby was probably close to two years old. They're living in Bethlehem, and the wise men show up. <laughs> and right after that, the angel says, you better get out of here because the king's going to kill all your babies in this land, including this one. It's because of this Jesus child that Herod is wanting to kill all of them. So Mary, you got to pick up and you got to go to Egypt. Well, I don't know anybody there. This was not an easy life for this woman. Would you agree? So if there was ever a case of remembering and clashing, it was these things that were continually in her life. Now, I say to you that our lives are this way. Yes, God has done incredible things. We give him thanks for this, and we have confidence in that. But at some point, we've got to bring that confidence to bear against whatever may be in front of us now. As I was praying about this, the Lord mightily brought to me the remembrance of a number of illustrations of this in the Scripture. To me, the most prolific one, uh, as the Spirit guided me, was found in Isaiah chapter 61, the words from Jesus' first sermon. And we're going to talk about this now in conjunction with what we've just said Mary did because, again, it's, it's a principle. So Isaiah 61, verses 1 through 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of Yahweh, the day of the vengeance of Elohim. That's interesting. That verse right there is very interesting. The vengeance of Elohim. Well, that sounds like a book that Mark Burke would want to write. But the vengeance of Elohim, that's terrific. How can that be? The vengeance of the heart of God. Think about that. That's not the message this morning. To comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, so far, that's great. That's taking names and kicking it, isn't it? That's terrific. But look at this. 
the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified. Why in the world, all of a sudden, in the midst of this tremendous promise, do we have to deal with the spirit of heaviness? The garment of praise, the spirit of heaviness. What does that mean? Well, the spirit of heaviness is interesting because <clears throat> it is a word, heaviness, that is translated as to fade or to diminish. It's used of Eli, the high priest during Samuel's day, whose eyes were dim, and that word means to be, it's the same word, clouded or uh, obscured. And this word heaviness really indicates that somehow the luster of life is gone for you, or, or at least you perceive it to be gone, and your perception is really clouded, and it's diminished. You're not seeing things right. That's the spirit of heaviness. It's not a garment of heaviness. It's a spirit of heaviness. And it seems to me that the God of this world, which Scripture says, blinds the minds of those who would see the glorious gospel of Christ is working overtime in our world to do this very thing, to cause people to just be in despair, to, to not trust God, but to view things in a negative, in a very clouded measure. If we're not very careful, we can be that way as well. Instead of the spirit of heaviness, we're to put on a garment or a mantle of praise. Tehillah, which is a derivative of halal, which is what we are to indicate as what God's doing. Our halal praise, as we've studied in so many ways, is to hear what God wants to do and then prophetically depict it and carry it along until such time as that thing is done. I'm not going to reteach that study today, but apparently before Satan, before Lucifer fell, his name was, Lucifer is Hillel, which means that he had a specialization in the days before the fall of taking what God had declared to do and bringing it with many different types of praise and adoration to a point of fulfillment. And that brings a brightness of shining. M most people translate Lucifer as the shining one, but it really is kind of like saying, you know, this apple is a taste without recognizing the tree that it came from and how it grew and how you harvest it. You know, it's not just the shining, it's how that came that brings it to bear. So if you're going to praise Tehillah, you are indicating that God has shared something with you and you, have, you are carrying it forth and it doesn't matter what it looks like, we're holding on till that promise comes. So you've got to overcome the spirit of heaviness by holding fast to the garment of praise, what you're really called to be and to do. That's the only way you'll dispel the spirit of heaviness. In our world today, there's so many things that have come against the message 
our identities in this past year, our individual life, hadn't it? So many ways that who you are and who you've been called to be have been interrupted, hindered, blocked, discouraged. How many things have come into your life as a part of that which you thought, dear God, why is this happening? Why? Oh, man, is this a, it's not just that we've had to deal with this and this and this, but why, Lord, is this here? And the way you overcome those things is by remembering what God has done, what God has said, and you praise that forward. You let that be on your lips. You let it come from your heart. And that in itself becomes a weapon that, not, that first of all, dispels the cloudiness and the dimness of despair and what, what might cloud your vision. And it, as in the case with Mary, clashes with that and defeats it. That's the only way. You can ask God all day long, Lord, brighten my eyes. Help me. Let the eyes of my understanding be enlightened. You, you can ask people to pray for you. You can ask people to, oh, lift me up. I'm just in despair. But unless you come to this understanding for yourself and begin to do it, you're going to continually be on the, on, the, on the doorstep of the spirit realm with your hand out wanting somebody to help you out. Now, there's always times that we need encouragement. I'm not displacing that. But this principle is there for us, and we must recognize it. You know, it, it reminds me of what Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 10 where he said, you know what, I've got to cast down imaginations. Imaginations will come and say, okay, well, you know, having this, you know what's going to happen next. You got one foot in the grave. That yellow thing in front of you is a banana peel. You're gone. You know, well, you know, old Aunt Martha, she just keeled over. and The guy down the street, I heard him coughing. I guess I'm going to get COVID next. I'll soon be in the ground, you know. Uh, I, you know, I've got Christmas coming, and I can't be with my family because Dr. Fauci told me that I can't be, and he's got a wife. I, I don't even have one, and I just, uh, off you go. It, you just go down the line, and pretty soon the spirit of heaviness has just destroyed you, and you're so wrapped up in that, you forget about all the ways that God has brought you through, and you have nothing to clash with. Nothing to battle with. And it's up to you to battle that kind of nonsense because it's all fear, and we cannot let that dominate our lives. We must overcome. You know, you see this over and over again. You know, David, he, uh, he was anointed by Samuel to be king, but yet he spent years running from Saul. And, you know, if he ever had a case of doubting God, it could have been brought to bear. Lord, how, how is this being a king? You know, I'm running for my life. I've got these mighty men with me. That's great. But this, this king is trying to kill me all the time. And, you know, you finally come to the point where David is about to be king. 
But that song, you know, I went to the enemy's camp and took back what he stole from me. You know, the enemy came and despoiled David's camp. And, you know, everybody's saying, well, how did this happen? The sons of Belial, those SOBs, they say, you know, we're going to kill David. Let's get some stones and get rid of him. Right before David was supposed to be king. And what did David do? He encouraged himself in the Lord. Nobody was there to encourage David. He didn't have his, uh, his, his iPod with all the faith songs from Bethel and all the other places to get stirred up, you know. All he had was a group of people that should have known better and agitators that were wanting to kill him. He had to encourage himself in the Lord. And how would he encourage himself in the Lord if we believe these principles? He had to remind himself of all that God had said. He had to remind himself of other times when his life was in, in, in the direct crosshairs of an, an agenda of an enemy. He had to remind himself of the way that he had killed the bear and killed the lion just as a young man and how he'd killed Goliath. He had to remind himself of the many times that he escaped Saul's hand. He had to remind himself mostly of the times that God had come to him and spoke to him, shared with him. He encouraged himself in the plan of God. That's exactly what we have to do. That's exactly what we have to do. Whose report will you believe? I believe the report of the Lord because when I do that, the arm of the Lord is revealed for me. You know, Jesus endured the cross because of the joy set before him. What God had sent him to accomplish and through his victory at the cross and the resurrection, that would be made available. Jesus, the very Son of God, could have could have relied upon any other measure of strength to get him through that. But instead, the joy set before him was what he relied on. I wonder today what maybe the enemy has tried against you. I wonder what sensitive spot he may have found that he's poking at and how he may be trying to occlude your vision and cause you to begin to doubt and be in fear. You've got to cast down those imaginations. And what Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10, what you have to do is bring every thought captive you need to clash with that faulty thought. And you need to arrest it and submit it to Christ. It's up to you to do that. You, you, can't, you, you can't expect anybody else to be inside your head doing that for you. Even if you had 15 prophets lay hands on you and fill your prophetic book with words, still in your head... If you don't take dominion about what's being whispered in there, you're still going to be a captive. Do you understand that? you just be looking for another word and another word and another word. But until you take dominion over those words that would persecute you and torment you, 
you're going to be persecuted and tormented. And then the viewpoint is going to doubt God. Take it captive. Submit it to Christ. Why to Christ? Because you are to be Christ-like. You are to be as an anointed son before the Father, accomplishing something. You are to be partnering with him in the halal. And that garment is to identify that you are really called to do this by God. And you know what? That will dispel the spirit of heaviness. It doesn't totally eradicate it. You may face it again tomorrow. But I can tell you this, it's just like with a bully. You know, you stand up to the bully. The next day you may have to stand up, but pretty soon the bully will say, no use going over there, I'm just going to get challenges. I remember I've told this story before. One time I was, uh, I started walking to school, you know, through Pennsylvania, through 10 feet of snow, you know. Uh, I started walking to school when I was six by myself, by myself. Um, and it was quite a while to go there. Those were different days. And after, after about a couple of months, on the days when um, my mom would give me a dollar, one day a week I'd get a dollar because mom would go to a, a women's meeting, a church meeting, and so I had a dollar to eat with. Of course, for me, Les will appreciate this, I would try to figure out the cheapest thing that I could eat with that dollar so I had money left over to buy either baseball cards or comic books. Pretty slick, huh? As you can tell, I didn't lack for food. So, um, but anyway, there was this kid that was probably in sixth or seventh grade. He was a bully. And he started harassing me as I'd walk to school. And he started a couple of weeks in a row, he'd steal my money. That's a classic story, isn't it? And I, this kid was probably a foot and a half, two feet taller than me, so it wasn't like I was a wimp. I was just, just turned six. So one day I came home, it was a couple weeks, and um, I said, um, you know, I'm really hungry. And my mom said, well, what did you eat today? And I said, I didn't eat anything. Well, why didn't you eat anything? And she thought that I'd spent all my money on the things that I would normally spend it on. And I said, no, there's this boy that's been taking my money. And so she asked me questions. And I wasn't complaining. Oh, Mom, I didn't cry about it. I just, I was trying to figure ways to, to go to school that were different from where I knew this bully was. That's, that was my thought process. Because I thought there's no way in the world I'm going to be able to beat this kid. I mean, he's heading big, big kid. So my mom talked to my dad. And the next day, my dad was off work in the day, and he walked with me to school. He said, now, Ronnie, I want you to show me where this boy is. And I didn't have much of a relationship with my dad, but it was really kind of comforting to have this six-foot-two muscular guy walking with me. And when I showed him where the boy was, my dad walked right over to this kid, and he said, this is my son. I don't want to hear any more about you coming up to him, threatening him, and trying to take his money. If you do, I'm going to come, and I'm going to get with your parents, and you're going to have to pay him back. I, I forget what all he said. I was just standing there like this. Well, the next day, 
when I had money, I was walking, and I looked over at that kid, and he, he just stood over on the other side. You know, at some point, the bully in your life is going to recognize it's not going to do any good anymore. But you're going to have to take that stand. And you're going to have to symbolo. You're going to have to symbol that thing. And you're going to have to arrest that thought. And you're going to have to dispel that spirit. It's not a garment of heaviness. It's a wind of heaviness. It's an influence. It's an atmosphere. And the way you dispel it is with the garment of how you are depicting what God wants you to be. And it's up to you to do that. I don't want to go too far with this, but we remember the story of Elijah up in the mountaintop. And, you know, he was in despair. Jezebel had launched these negative words against him. And in the spirit realm, they were very real. And even though Elijah had just had those incredible victories, and the breaking of the drought, outrunning the chariot, killing all those prophets of Baal and Ashtoreth. The angel had been feeding him by the brook. But those words of Jezebel, by this time tomorrow, you're going to be dead, somehow found their way into him. And he's, oh, woe is me. What doest thou here, Elijah? You know the story. We've preached on it before. Well, you know, I'm not any better than my forefathers, and now they're trying to seek my life. I'm all alone. Nah, 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 nah. You say, why was Elijah saying that? Well, look at your own life. I think in your hymnal, you probably say things just like that. Why is it that I don't have this? Why don't I have that? All the other girls have this, and I don't have it. Nah, 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 nah. What doest thou here? And the still small voice came. And said to him, you go stand in the mouth of the cave and you wrap your mantle around your head. How do we know it said that? Because as soon as the still small voice spoke, that's what Elijah did. That garment, that mantle that represented who he was called to be. The beauty of wrapping that big mantle around his head was it was indicating it's your head that's the problem here. You've got to block out all these things in the natural you're seeing. You've got to block out all these thoughts that are coming, all these words from Jezebel, and you've got to get back to trusting the garment of praise. What I've called you to do supersedes every other thing. It doesn't matter what your physical symptoms are. It doesn't matter what CNN's saying. It doesn't matter what Aunt Nellie's saying, who just dropped dead in COVID. Remember I said that. It, it doesn't matter any of those things. You've got to dispel those things with the garment of praise. This is a key for us. It's a key for me. You, you know, we're all facing this. We all face it. We're not, we're not just uh, inoculated. There's no, there's no uh, vaccination from Moderna or anybody else against the spirit of heaviness. There just isn't. You've got to overcome it with the garment of praise. You've got to overcome. Now, you don't realize how many things in my life have come and said, this mission that God has given you and to this body, it's over. Oh, yeah, but we've got this outpost here and this nation and here and here and all these thousands of people in this continent that are wanting and, you know, God's provided. And all these things, we know this, but yet it's no respecter of persons. And with every one of them, I have to do this very thing. 
and I, have, I admit, some days I'm better at it than others. Sometimes at 3 in the morning, I, it's so dark in there, I can't see where my garment of praise is. Hey, that's just my T-shirt. It'll do you no good. See that garment over there? But you've got to do this because it's God's way, not just in Mary's life, but in the Apostle Paul's life and in David's life and in Elijah's life and, and so on. It goes. The garment of praise, the garment of remembering what God has done, what He has said, and you are responsible to remember that and to apply it. That dispels the spirit of heaviness. It doesn't eradicate it. It doesn't, with a mighty wind, just blow it way away so that you're never facing it anymore. Bind and rebuke, cast it in the abyss. It's still there tomorrow. You have to overcome it, just like Mary did. Here she is, halo on her head, making the fancy hand signs, you know, having to be still every now and then for those Renaissance artists so that they could get them all painted. And in the midst of that pristine, miraculous moment, Mary had to remember and Mary had to be ready to clash with something. She had to make war. She had to bring her argument confidently. And she had to depict what God had done and what he would do. Because he, he, he who has begun a good work in you is faithful to complete it. So how about you today? How about me today? Bless you. We, we will face these things, especially in this world. My goodness. You just turn on the news at any moment or flick on your, your newsie or whatever it is you have on your phone. And, you know, the Russians have hacked into our government and the Chinese are doing this and this uh, COVID. Worst day ever. Worst day ever. You know, and. You know, I may not, the vaccination's coming. What? Next week they've restricted the number they're sending out. Who would have done that? It's terrible. And on and on and on and on. And it never stops, does it? And tomorrow there'll be something else. You've got to keep and ponder. You've got to embrace the garment of praise which is yours, and you've got to dispel that spirit of heaviness. Now, we've sung that song, put on the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. You know, we sing that, and I don't think we really realize what it means. I think we think, you know, if I just get, get my praise on, you know, and shake a leg and bang a tambourine and, you know, that in itself is going to spook the enemy. You know, Woo! off he'll go. Turn it up really loud. In fact, my boombox isn't loud enough. Put it on a, another boombox in the same room. It'll be so loud. Man, that spirit of heaviness won't have any room in here. It is, whew, 
You go away. We, we'll even call Bev. Bev, sing loud. I need you to sing right now. It'll drive this away. That is not what it means. You say, well, you're, 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 you said it enough. Let's just 18 after. And I know I've not said it enough because even though you may got it, somebody else doesn't. It's not just about you saying, praise the Lord. That can mean anything. And it's not, it's not some magical word. You just say it right. I'm going to say it in Hebrew. I'm going to say it backwards. Do you know backwards? It spells out this. Oh, it's powerful. I've got a new revelation. It's not what you say. It's what the abundance of your heart has brought about in what God has done, what He's called you to be, and you're confident in that. And when you live that, not just, you see, that's the thing about praise to Hillah. Do you realize that it's more about the doing than the saying? It's more about the depicting prophetically than it is about the singing? You know, some nonsense somebody was teaching not long ago that the real power is in the music and in the instrumentalism or the guitar or whatever. We love that. Nobody in here said that. But we've heard it taught. So my thing is, so why in Genesis 1 did God just not get his sack butt and strum something instead of saying it? Why, did, why when it says he sent his word, why did it just say he sent his melody? No. No. It's not about the music. It's about that relationship that you have forged at the invitation of God with him and what you depict regarding that relationship, and along with that will be words, and along with that will be music. I don't really, I, you know, Kenneth Hagin said, I'd sooner hear a donk, donkey bray at midnight in a tin barn than hear people sing about things that they've not experienced. You know, that's one of the things that I loved about hearing Kevin Prosh's songs uh, when we were first beginning, because you knew this guy's not just rattling off the thing that they've heard in 50 other places. This is the hot song. This is singing about something that we've experienced it, and we can tell that he experienced it too, and there's power in that. There's power in that. So that's the garment of praise. It's more on the garment than it is the praise, because the garment represents, I receive this identity from God and this empowerment, and this I will do with you, and my praise is going to be indicative of that. It's like when Jesus said, these people come near me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. I don't ever want that to be. There's a lot of lip praises that don't do anything to the spirit of heaviness. It's lip service. You know, it's, if somebody comes and you say, yeah, yeah, it's just jive talking. You're just telling me lies. It, it, it was, that was a hymn written by uh, Barry Gibb. It was in our hymnal. Um, doo -doo, doo -doo -doo -doo. You remember that one? Really good on the organ. Um, but, you know, I don't want to hear that kind of stuff. And you can tell right away whether somebody is is really living the talk and, and, and walking the talk. 
That's what empowers the garment of praise. It's not just you singing or hearing the latest tune. No matter how that soothes you emotionally, once that's gone, there's the spirit of heaviness again. And you've got to arrest it. Because pretty soon those songs are going to sound old and you're going to think, eh, I need to hear something else. Isn't that right? Stop playing that one. I've heard that ad infinitum. It's just over and over again. It's just lost its glister for me, you know. So Mary kept those things and she pondered them. She kept and pondered while she was there in the manger. Wow. The shepherds had just left. Hey, guess what happened to us? We're out there on the hillside. This angel group comes. The whole place is lit up. They're singing, glory to God in the highest on earth, peace, goodwill toward men. Go to Bethlehem. They just told that story. Where's pondering in that? Where's the symbol of clash in that? Mary had learned to that point in her young life that yesterday's angelic visitation, really, you build on that, but it does nothing for tomorrow's time when you got to get on a mule and ride to Bethlehem when you're about to give birth. Sheesh. Man, that, that, that in itself was rough. I've yet to see any paintings of that one in the Louvre. Maybe the British have all those in the National Portrait Gallery. I don't know. But Mary had to do this. David had to do it. Samuel had to do it. Everybody had to do it. And guess what? You and I have to do it. So I don't know what's ahead for this new year. You know, God kind of keeps those things uh, to himself. Um, that spices up the walk of faith. But the one thing we do know is what has God promised? What's God said he wants to do? It may not be in the way we've envisioned he's going to do it, but that's okay as long as we stay in commune with him and hold on. So I'm going to end this message today to say this. This week is going to be a blessed time for so many of you. You know, I'm grateful to live here in Texas where we don't have a bombastic array of restrictions we still need to use common sense. But you know what else I'm very thankful for? How many times over this year have we declared the blood of Jesus over our lives and that God would protect us and keep us? And hasn't he? He has. And he continues to do it. There's been so many ways that God's provided for us. It's incredible. And you're going to be blessed this week. Some of you may face a challenge this week. You may know about it right now. And you may have been echoing that same thing I said. Why, Lord? You're not questioning. You know, it's still not 1230 yet. Just give me a moment. I keep speaking to that empty place over there in the, by the window. Not long ago, um, one of the greatest things that ever came against my life happened. And um, I won't go into too many details because I don't want to betray the point of it. But we had a loss in our family, and uh, it was a real shock. And it troubled me. Partic well, I'll just talk about it. You know, when my sister died, um, I, I flew up to Pittsburgh to be with her in the hospital when they were doing the last measure of surgery. They were trying to determine whether they were going to be able to save her life or not. 
And I, here I am, a pastor, and somebody who believes in the power of God. And we've seen God work so many miracles. And I stood there and I prayed over my sister and I believed. And I was there when the doctor called me out in the hallway and said, there's, there's nothing we can do. And I still believed, but I also recognized that this was a very dour forecast. I came back into the room and the doctor came in and I remember seeing my sister just weep. I'd never seen that before. And it crushed me because this was the person that really had stood beside me throughout so many crucial points in my life growing up as a little boy. She was the voice of reason. She was the voice of encouraging me to learn and now here she was with a death sentence and weeping. And I'd done everything I knew to do and was believing God, but I felt helpless. And I remember saying goodbye to her the next morning, early in the morning. And the nurse was in with her and she just broke down and cried. And she said, this is my little brother. I'll never see him again on this earth. And it just broke me. And, and she was right. She died not too long after that. And I remember driving back. It was snowing in Pittsburgh that morning. I was on my way early in the morning to the airport. And I'm driving and, you know, tears are in my eyes. And I'm thinking, Lord, I was calling out to the Lord, Lord, bring a miracle. And Nobody, it's appointed unto everybody, wants to die. You know, if we, we all could just save people from that, we'd have 900 billion people on the earth right now. Nobody would ever die. Did you ever think about that? Well, after that happened and we went back up for the funeral, there were a lot of things that were said and felt. You know, you know those emotional times and there were some people that you loved, but you knew, uh, you're not trying to be judgmental, but by the things they say about God, and you wonder, do you even have a relationship with him? How can you be saying these things against God? How can you, how can you doubt him? How can you say, I don't know? It, and, and when you hear that stuff, you just have to back away. That's not the time to get in their face and say, I rebuke that. I mean, because everybody's grieving. You're all in the family. Jesus said a prophet is well, without honor except in his own family. And here you are, and you think, well, that would have never happened to Jesus. Well, i got a question for you. Where was Joseph? You think he was on... Uh, Afghanistan duty, you think he joined the Israeli military and he was away? Somehow Jesus was in charge of that family. Hear about it at the wedding of Cana. Who did Mary turn to? The eldest son. Somehow Jesus had to watch Joseph die. The son of God. Does that make any sense? Not in our mind. So at some point, we have to do what Mary did. And I'm not forecasting anybody's going to die. We're all well. We're all whole. Things are good. But sometimes things happen 
that no matter how many times we bind and rebuke and take a stand and get prayer chains going, it's just hurtling to that point, and God's going to do something through that. And because of that, you're going to overcome in a bigger way. You've got to remember what God has done in your life, what he's called you to be. It's up to you to do that. And you use those things, you use that garment of praise to dispel whatever comes, whatever clashes with you, whether it's war or arguments or whether it's some kind of naysayer, whatever it might be. And you dispel that based upon your unwavering relationship with God and what you remember He has done. That's the key. So Mary did this not because she was Hail Mary. What's it? How's it go? What's she, something of grace, full of grace. Be with us now in the hour of our need, our death. Well, let's not say that. Scratch that from the record. Janice erased that from the official manuscript. You know, um, it's not because Mary was this queen of heaven. It's because she was a young girl with a great responsibility and a measure of grace. And she was there with a husband that she had not really known yet who was just in their relationship, still getting to know one another, and a bevy of challenges ahead. That's the story of Christmas. Of course, Christ's coming, but then who was, who was in charge of him? Christ has come to your life. You're responsible to bring his victory to bear in partnership with him. So I'm really done now. But you've got to remember what God has done. You're going to remember what God has said. You've got to remember who you are in Him and who He is in you. And you take that and you're ready to overcome through that. Amen? Father, I speak blessing over this people. I thank you, Father, for what you have in store for us in this coming year. And I thank you for the way you have provided for us over and over again through this, one of the most challenging years in the history of civilization. Uh, you brought us through, and we're all doing pretty good. I thank you for that. And I pray, Father, that you will encourage every heart, every household, to not give place to the spirit of heaviness, to not give place to the blinding of the God of this world, but to hold fast to what you've promised and to what lies ahead with you. We encourage ourselves in the Lord, and we thank you. You're a wonderful God. You never fail us. I thank you for this. And so I speak blessing over every church, every house of prayer, every individual saint in their outposts, and to this precious congregation here, may we commune with you this week, and may we know you in a deeper way than we ever have before. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for coming.
And thank you for letting us partner with you. And we ask all of this thing, all of these things, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.